I would like to welcome all those joining us online. I'm Pastor Zach. Shelly and I serve as lead pastors here at Connection Point. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, grateful for what God's doing here in the church and the lives of many. Uh, I was, uh, had a, got some clarification from our youth this morning on a, a term that I've been unfamiliar with. Anybody here ever heard of FOMO? Anybody hear FOMO? Youth know it. Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. You ever heard of that? Okay, it's all over social media. Oxford Dictionary actually added this acronym, this term to the dictionary in 2013. Now, I will say, I mean, people have kind of had a fear of missing out for like, forever. I mean, that you don't want to miss out on something that's happening, a party that's going on, or somebody's got an open house, you want to be there. But basically, with social media, the rise of that fear has happened because now you can like sit at home where before you wouldn't have known you were missing out. Now it's all in your face. Like, they're having a party and I'm not there. That's the, right, youth? Hey, don't worry about missing out. You're not really missing out. But it is interesting with uh, the fear of missing out. I began to ask myself the question on if there's anything that we should fear missing out on, it's on the, what God wants for our lives. So if you want to fear missing out on something, let's, let's fear that. Um, but what's interesting, too, as we continue in our series in Luke today, is as, as we see the passage that we're going to get into today, you don't need to have that fear because everyone's invited. So don't miss out. We're going to walk through the scripture and we're going to see how Luke highlights that for us, that everyone's invited. Uh, you're invited today. And so uh, what I want to do is, is look at these three verses and see how that holds true for us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. If you're new to the church, you're wondering what in the world we're chanting. Um, <laughs> we'd love for you to have a Bible. God's word is an important thing. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. You're welcome to it. If you don't have one at home, take it home with you as a gift from the church. Um, but we want you to have God's word. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word today. We're going to get into a new chapter. We are just moving right along in Luke. Luke chapter 8. We're flying. And if you're new to the church, you're wondering, what is he talking about? We've been in it for like a year and some months now. Um, hey, but we're moving. Good things are happening in Luke. It's neat to see uh, what we can learn about Jesus as we do that. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. So soon afterward, so I want to always go back to where we left off. So last week we talked about Jesus was at a banquet. He was invited by Simon the Pharisee. We see a woman display great faith. So soon after this banquet, this is what it's talking about. He went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The term gospel, so the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, gospel simply means good news. And I think it's really important for us to understand this is good news. I don't think everybody, think, I don't think everybody receives it that way sometimes, but Jesus came proclaiming good news. But I also want to say it's only good news if you receive it. So my challenge for you today is receive this good news. Jesus was proclaiming it, and he says, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So in the three verses I just read, Luke does something that's rather unique. He shows us how followers of Jesus, they come from all kinds of different backgrounds. As we look at these verses, we get a short answer to the question of who's invited to follow Jesus. So that's what I wanted to find today. Who's invited to follow Jesus? 
And the first group of people we come across in these verses are the 12 disciples. Verse 1, it tells us that Jesus was traveling and sharing the good news. The 12 were with him. So what that means is men are invited to follow Jesus. We're going to start there. Men are invited to follow Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, here's where we find the account of Jesus selecting the disciples. Uh, We covered this passage last year. And here's what it says. In these days, he went out to the mountain. So Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter. And Andrew, his brother. And James and John. And Philip and Bartholomew. And Matthew and Thomas. And James, the son of Alphaeus. And Simon, who was called the Zealot. And Judas, the son of James. And Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So we see in the 12 that's listed there, men are invited. Jesus selects these 12 men to follow him closely. They're going to be responsible to carry the message of Jesus from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And of course, others are going to help him do that as well. And can I tell you today that Jesus is looking for men today? I want to say that again. Jesus is looking for men today. He's looking for teachable, honest, and loyal men whose hearts are big and who are ready to turn the world upside down in Jesus' name. That's what he wants. And and sometimes, I was going over this this message this morning, and it dawned on me. I feel like sometimes the claim is that Jesus is for women and children. Okay, let me introduce you to a New Testament book called the Book of Revelation. Chapter 1, here's what it says about Jesus. I mean, verse 1 says the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this book is all about revealing who Jesus Christ is. John, he's on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled there. Jesus shows up. He shows up in John's darkest hour. How many know Jesus still does that today? He shows up in our darkest hour. And he shows up, and here's the vision that John sees. Here's what it says in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. He's like Jedi here. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. We serve a warrior king, our suffering, conquering king. Here's John's response, by the way. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Okay, how many know Jesus comes in power? But he laid his right hand on me. So Jesus, being Jesus, both the lion and the lamb. Fear not, I'm the first and the last. Basically like, hey man, I walked with you for years. Still me, still just Jesus. But Jesus shows up this warrior king. Men, you're invited to follow this warrior king. I I love C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia, where they ask, Aslan, is he safe? Jesus, is he safe? The answer, no, but he's good. This is Jesus. So men, you're invited You're invited to change the world. You're invited to make a difference with your life. You're invited to an extraordinary life. So the question is, have you accepted that kind of invitation? And if not, will you accept it today? Men are invited to follow Jesus. And as we continue in Luke chapter 8, we come across a short list of women who are following Jesus. And this is what it tells us. Women are invited to follow Jesus. Women are invited to follow Jesus. And although this is a simple statement, this is a big deal, especially in the first century. Jesus was a revolutionary when it came to his interactions with women. 
And to help us better understand what the thinking was of women during the first century, during the time of Jesus, we first need to look at the Old Testament. We should start there. The Old Testament, it offers some high points regarding the place of women. The books of Ruth and Esther, along with the story of Deborah and the prophetess Jael, uh, the wife of Heber, these are prime examples. Uh, If you read about the Proverbs 31 woman, all of these hold women in high regard. Um, But what seems to happen is something seems to deteriorate between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So there's 400 years, and things seem to go a little bit differently there. And the way that we know this is you can look at the writings of Jewish scholars in that time period to get an idea of what the view of was of women during that time. One of those is Ben Sirach, a scholar in Jerusalem who lived 200 years before Christ. Here's some things that he said. He said women could be good wives and mothers. They're to be respected. Okay, that's a, that's a positive thing. He also says if you don't like your wife, don't trust her. Not so great. Uh, he said be careful to keep records of the supplies you issue to her. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Woo! Um, he also says, deed no property to her. You're a cut out of the will, ladies. He went so far as to say, here's, here's a terrible statement. Daughters are a disaster. So with the passage of time and the rise of the rabbinic movement, the position of women by New Testament times was on all levels inferior to men. We need to understand this. Because then the question is, did Jesus reinforce the attitudes toward women that were widespread in his time, or did he seek to reform them? That's what we need to examine. Now, to begin with, it's important to note that in the New Testament, the word disciple has neither a masculine or feminine form. It's important to know that. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 36, Tabitha or Dorcas, she's called a disciple. In other words, we know that there were women disciples in the New Testament. They weren't among the 12 that were following Jesus, but definitely Jesus had women who were following From our passage this morning, we see that we had uh, women disciples, Jesus had women disciples following him, and that they were involved personally, and they were making financial contributions. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 48 through 50, Jesus' family appears, they ask to speak with Jesus, and here's how Jesus responds. Here's what we find in Matthew. Jesus says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, how many know if I was at a men's breakfast and I was talking and said, those are his disciples who are his uh, mother and brother and sisters. Like if it's a group of all guys, you don't refer to guys as sisters. All guys said, come on, any guy here want to be referred to as a sister? No, no. So what that's telling us is, is Jesus, in talking to this crowd, he's talking to both men and women. Because he could have said uh, he could have said brother and cousin and uncle, but he didn't. No, he included men and women in that statement. Uh, within the teachings of Jesus, he frequently mentions both men and women. You find this all throughout. Uh, we talked about the widow of Zarephath. So Luke chapter 4, we talked about Jesus sharing this message at the synagogue in Nazareth. And he brings up people of great faith. A woman, the widow of Zarephath, and Naaman the Syrian. So he's talking about a man and a woman here. And what I would encourage you to do after I've shared this message is as you're continuing to read the Bible on your own, look for these patterns. It's interesting. It's there. You may just not have caught it before. We have the, uh, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus presents the twin parables of mending the garment, which is the task of a woman, and the making of wine, which is the work of men. So he's constantly going back and forth. The parable of the mustard seed that we're going to get to in Luke chapter 13. It's connected to men. 
who do the farming. And it's then linked to a story of the woman kneading leaven into bread dough. So again, he's engaging men and women with his parables. The parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin in Luke chapter 15. These are taught together. Men would herd sheep while it's the woman who loses her coin and sweeps the house to find it. And here's what's really interesting about this uh, parable. So parables were not unique to Jesus. They were a part of uh, the Hebraic teaching method. So Jesus was using a method in his day to help explain and teach the kingdom of God. I have a book on uh, the parables of Jewish sages. Those of Jesus are in there as well. And so there's parables that are common in that day. And what Jesus actually does is he takes a parable that's common. It was about a man who lights lamp after lamp after lamp trying to find a lost coin. And Jesus takes that parable, takes the man out, puts a woman in, and uses his own parable. People of the day would have known that. They were recognizing Jesus was talking to both men and women. Consistently he did it. Jesus also meets with and elevates the position of women in several narratives. John chapter 4, that's a famous one. Uh, John chapter 4, what happens is Jesus meets with a woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he talks directly to this woman, and he chooses her as the audience for profound expositions of the nature of God. He shares his first I am statement, I am the Savior with her. And what does this woman do? She goes to her village, shares his story with others, and it foreshadows what's going to happen at the resurrection as women discover the tomb and go and share what has happened. Jesus interacts with women in positive ways. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. I want to read this passage. Um, I tell you what, I was confused by this passage uh, for a number of years because it just didn't sound like Jesus. That's what confused me until I had some insight from uh, those that understand culture really well. So here's Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So this woman approaches Jesus. And what's really important is we pay attention to every word in Scripture. It really has value. Uh, The person that really helped me with this, there's two guys, Craig Keener and Kenneth Bailey. Kenneth Bailey does a great job of exegeting culture, of studying culture, so he understands what's happening here first century. And here's the next line, and here's what's important, but he did not answer her word. So basically, this woman approaches Jesus, and Jesus doesn't answer. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, so here's what happens. Jesus doesn't say anything, and it gives room for the disciples to respond. And what do they say? Send her away, for she is crying out after us. So these disciples don't want to hear from this woman. And he answered, so he's going along with this now, Jesus is, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, so notice the disciples aren't engaging anymore. Jesus is just going ahead and going with it. And he says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. How many of you have ever read that line and be like, ooh, Jesus, that's harsh, right? That was what I struggled with. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. What Jesus is doing in this passage is he knows the prejudice of the disciples. He knows their prejudice against other ethnicities. He knows their prejudice against women. And so what he does is he verbalizes what's in their head. And you've got to know when he makes this statement, he says... It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Those disciples are thinking, man, that sounded a lot better in my head than when Jesus said it, (laughs) right? And the notice the disciples are silent. 
because they know they've been called out and their prejudice has been revealed. Can I tell you this morning, prejudice has no, there's no room for prejudice in the kingdom of God. There's no room for prejudice in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is calling that out here and he interacts with this one. And what does he say? The heart of Jesus eventually shines forth. What's he say? Oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. That's the heart of Jesus. In John chapter seven and eight, scribes and Pharisees use a woman as a pawn in a power play to discredit Jesus. They catch this woman in adultery. They bring her before Jesus and ask that she be stoned. Now notice, they didn't bring the man. They only brought the woman. And Jesus stands in opposition to all of this. Jesus offers this woman a costly demonstration of unexpected love. That's the heart of Jesus. From our passage last week, if you were here, this woman comes up and approaches Jesus at the banquet. Everyone else is making comment, but Jesus stands up for her and says, woman, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Over and over, Jesus stands up for women. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus shares a parable of a widow and a judge. And what's interesting is Ben Sirach, the guy who says daughters are a disaster, what he says, he has a similar parable in his book, The Wisdom of Ben Sirach. The main difference between the parable that this guy has, Ben Sirach, and the difference that Jesus shares is that Ben Sirach, he starts with a woman and immediately shifts to a man, but Jesus says, follow the example of this widow. She knows how to pray. He lifts her up as an example of prayer. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13, Jesus shares a parable of the wise and the foolish young women. In this story, if you think about it, it could have been about 10 young men, but it wasn't. The church is always referred to in feminine form, as you look at the New Testament, as the bride of Christ. So Jesus chose women to act the part of membership of the church, both wise and foolish. So there's many examples, and you can find them. And here's what I'm, I'm going to close with on this particular point, is that as we approach the cross, then what we see is women come to center stage. Mark chapter 15. So again, it's not just in Luke. You see it in other Gospels as well. Mark chapter 15, here's what he writes. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So again, Mark is reiterating, women followed Jesus and were a part of his disciples. And when evening had come, since it was a day of preparation, that is, the day before Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. So now who's center stage in this narrative? Who's the person asking for the body of Jesus? Joseph of Arimathea. So we've got a man at center stage. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead because Pilate was surprised to hear that he'd already died. And so the centurion, who's going to be a man, he testifies to the fact that Jesus is dead. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, he wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So what we find in Mark chapter 15 is we've got men at center stage interacting with the body of Jesus and laying him in a tomb. But here's what happens in Mark 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, they bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. 
He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Mark chapter 16, who's now at center stage? Men or women? Women. At the resurrection, basically all that Jesus had been encouraging in the matter of his kingdom. The women step out of the shadows from the kingdom of God to now their center stage, witnessing to the resurrection of Christ. And I feel like that's a great climax to the equality that Jesus shows all throughout his ministry for both men and women. So here's what I'm saying. Women, you're invited. You're an important part of the kingdom of God, a very important part to the kingdom of God. Uh, If you're unaware, Connection Point Church is, is a part of the Assemblies of God, which has always placed an emphasis on the value of women in ministry. Here's what we find, um, part of the reasoning for that in Acts 2, Peter's preaching his message and he quotes Joel and says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So from the beginning of our movement, the Assemblies of God, women have played a really important part. I could historically name name after name of incredible women of faith who have gone after it for God and made a difference for the kingdom, starting orphanages in places like Egypt and Cairo, done exceptional things. Uh, if you're, Shelley and I are both ordained ministers with the Assemblies of God. So that has been a part of our movement to say men and women matter in the kingdom. So women, again, I'll say it, you're invited. Uh, now I know as I was preparing this message, some of you will have questions. Well, what about what some of the things that Paul writes about? And I've got comments on those too. Right now I want to focus this morning on Jesus and women, but I don't want to leave you hanging. So if this week you go back to our webpage, connectionpointchurch.org, under the media tab, Go to the message that we'll post tomorrow of today. I'll put a link there to a great podcast that talks about those scriptures. I'm going to talk about them too, but at least in the meantime, you've got some information. And if you have questions, come and talk to me. I've got answers. But suffice it to say, women are invited to follow Jesus. Amen. Women are an important part of God's kingdom. So thanks for being here. And I'll say thanks, men, for seeing the value that women have in the kingdom. You're in a great church for that. Women are invited to follow Jesus. And as you look at the people following Jesus, here's what you find. People of different socioeconomic and political classes as well. Which tells us this. Different socioeconomic and political classes are invited to follow Jesus. And that is a mouthful. I don't know any other way to say it. Different socioeconomic and political classes are invited to follow Jesus. When you look at the backgrounds of the people that are following Jesus, you'll find different uh, people of different socioeconomic status. Matthew, a former tax collector. He's uh, sometimes called Levi. He would have been a person of means. Peter owned a fishing boat, and along with his brother Andrew, James, and John, they were fishermen, they were businessmen. Uh, You look at the other disciples and their backgrounds, they had varying ranges of where they came from as far as uh, financial backgrounds were concerned. And then from our list in Luke chapter 8, you find Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna specifically mentioned. We know Joanna was the wife of Chusa, this is mentioned, Herod's household manager, meaning Joanna came from a household of means. And we know some of the other ladies mentioned that they gave of their resources, supported the work of Jesus, so then they did as well. But as you look across the New Testament, you'll find people of all kinds of socioeconomic status, they were following Jesus, because everyone's invited. When you examine the backgrounds of the disciples, you'll find they came from different political backgrounds as well. Matthew, a former tax collector, he was considered one of the most despicable people in Israel before Jesus called him tax collectors. What his job was is he would uh, work with the Roman government, 
to extort taxes from his own people. These taxes would pay for the Roman occupation army. So let's put him in one category. And then we also have Simon the Lesser, uh, Simon the Zealot, uh, that we just read about earlier. And Zealots, if you don't know, they were an outlaw political party who took their hatred of Rome to an extreme. They conspired to overthrow Rome. Many of them were violent outlaws. They used sabotage and assassination to advance their political agenda. They would conceal weapons in their robes and use them to kill people they perceived as political enemies, people like tax collectors. So the fact that Matthew, a former tax collector, and Simon, a former zealot, that they could be a part of the same company of 12 disciples, that's an incredible testimony to the work of God in people's lives. I love that. Uh, we have a connection point, people of various socioeconomic status, and everyone is welcome here. You're all invited to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. And I sure hope that if Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot, if they could be together in the same connect group, can't we all be in the same connect group? Come on now. Are you tracking with me today? Come on. People of different socioeconomic and political classes are invited to follow Jesus. And as you look more closely at the list of people following Jesus, here's what you find. Different races and ethnicities are welcome as well. So this is what it means. Every race and ethnicity is invited to follow Jesus. Every race and ethnicity is invited to follow Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, uh, after Jesus selects the 12 disciples, what we see is a crowd has come together to hear the teachings of Jesus. And so then the question is, well, who's in that crowd? And here's what we find. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits, they were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So people from Tyre and Sidon. We just read how Jesus traveled there, interacted with a Canaanite woman, and said that this woman, uh, her faith would lead to her daughter's healing. And what we see here in this passage is people from Tyre and Sidon, different ethnicities, they came out to hear Jesus, and Jesus heals them all, all that came and sought after him. Uh, another passage we find. John chapter 12, we discover a passage that's labeled as some Greeks seek Jesus. John chapter 12, this uh, passage is as Jesus is the week before, he's going to go to the cross. Uh, they're in, uh, Jesus and the disciples are in Jerusalem for Passover. And it says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And what you find if you continue to read that passage is Jesus begins to explain that he's going to go to the cross and be resurrected from the dead. And he included the Greeks in that discussion. The Greeks were an important part there. And then we find in Acts 1.8, Jesus is talking with the disciples. And right before he leaves, what does he tell them? He says, I need you to wait so you can be empowered to touch the nations. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, you are empowered to do the mission that I've called you to, which is to touch all nations. I shared a message at the end of last month, and I talked about God's big dream, and it's recorded in Revelation 7. John is recording here, he says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All tribes 
and peoples and languages. That's God's heart. All ethnicities, all races are invited to be followers of Jesus. If you're Nigerian, you're invited. If you're Iranian, you're invited. If you're Jordanian, you're invited. If you're an African-American, you're invited. If you're Caucasian or Hispanic, you're invited. So guess what? You're all invited. Everyone online is invited to be part of the kingdom of God. Isn't that an incredible thing? So don't miss out. Take that invitation today. Will you accept the invitation? Will you accept the invitation to follow the only one who brings meaning and purpose in life and the promise of life forever with him and others who follow him as well? Will you accept the invitation to wholeheartedly, to obediently follow Jesus, the Son of God? Now, for some of you here today, that could mean two different things, two different responses. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus. Maybe you've said, I've never accepted that invitation. And so today, start there. You know, but maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, but you've still been just kind of living on the edge. But here's what we find from our passage this morning, from Luke, the very end, in verse 3. It says, and many others, talking about those followed him, who provided for them out of their means. So I would encourage you, be a follower who obediently follows after Jesus, who passionately follows him, and says, God, everything belongs to you. That's the kind of invitation that you're welcome to this morning. Are you following Jesus in this way? Are you living generously in the kingdom of God? If not, will you accept the invitation to do so today? Will you truly put God at the center of your life? How much more peace could you be experiencing in your life if you trusted Jesus with everything, with your family, with your job, with your provisions? That's the kind of followership you're invited to. Wholeheartedly follow Jesus. He can be trusted. I want to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning and worship the one who's worthy of all of our worship. And I want to start with that first invitation. Maybe you're here today. And maybe for some reason you didn't realize that you've been invited. And I don't want you to miss out. So if that's you today and you say, you know what? I want to accept that invitation to follow Jesus. With every head bowed in this room this morning, I I want you to be able to have that moment to say yes to Jesus today. So if that's you today and you say, I want to accept that invitation, simply raise your hand and I want to pray with you before we leave from this place today. Anybody here today that say, that's me. I need to accept that invitation to follow Jesus. Over here on the left, anybody else that say, I want to follow Jesus today. I want to put God at the center. I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for God. In the back over here, anybody else that would say, I want to follow Jesus. God, I just thank you that we have this incredible invitation to be in relationship with you. God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and to be raised from the dead so that we can experience the power of the resurrection in our lives, that we can be made a new creation. So God, I pray for that today. I pray for those in this room that have never accepted an invitation to follow you. May they choose to follow you today and do so for a lifetime. And God, I pray for those here in this room today that that maybe we've just really not gone all in, that we wouldn't think to be a part of of supporting the work of the kingdom because we just, we don't fully trust you, Jesus, yet. But I just say, Jesus, may you build trust into their lives today. May we trust you with everything, with our very lives. May we hold nothing back from you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you raised your hand this morning, there was a couple of you that did so. 
If I could encourage you, what we want to do is give you a Bible information on where you go from here. So if you wouldn't mind, Pastor Mark is our youth pastor. Um, He's going to help organize that. But we've got some prayer team members that will meet with you as well to say this is where you go to follow Jesus for a lifetime. So if that was you this morning, I just invite you to come and we're just going to applaud you for you making that decision this morning. And if there were others, as we continue in song, feel free to step out from where you're at. Come forward. Let Pastor Mark know, and he'll get you connected with a prayer team member to show you what it looks like to follow Jesus from here into eternity. But I just invite us, let's sing this morning and worship the one who's worthy of all of our worship today. Chris, just lead us.